0: Welcome to the Album Nerds Podcast. I am Dude, and joining me on the other side of the world, once again, is me matey, Andy. Say hi, Andy.
1: (laughs) What's up, buddy? How's it going, everybody out there? Welcome to the show. Another edition of the Album Nerds Podcast, where we talk about some of our favorite albums. This week on the show, we're going back, back in time, all the way to the year 1993. What a good year it was. Right, buddy.
0: It was swell. I loved 1993. I thought I was uh I was pretty happy with myself back then. <laughs> In terms of uh who I was, I was early 20s. I uh had a pony nub. I wore oh. stupid-looking, yeah, that's right. I wore a lot of stupid-looking clothes and thought I was um proving something. I (laughs) wrote poetry and performed it at open mic nights and generally was a douchebag. But at the time, (laughs) I thought I was pretty freaking cool. So I enjoyed that time period, worked at a record store, you know, just thought I was pretty much super cool. How about you? What were you, nursing still?
1: (laughs) Uh, Yeah, I don't think I had a ponytail at that point, but uh, (laughs) I think I had a little... uh, a little little tiny tail on the back. Like a rat tail? Or uh, you a, were... Uh, a, a duck's ass, I think they call it. A DA, I want to say. Does what? Right?
0: I, I have no idea. I've never heard of such a thing. I can- so children were going around with a duck's ass on their... <laughs>
1: <laughs> I'm pretty sure that's what it was called. Just like, not like a full tail that you could tie back, but like a little point, an exaggerated point in the back of your head, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> that's all I could get away with because I was like 13 or 14 right. or something like that.
0: Right, right, right. Oh yeah, I'm. yep. So at that peak of that era, I felt like I was king of the world, but I was not. I was a freaking loser. <laughs> <laughs>
1: it became more and more apparent as the years went on.
0: <laughs> I hate that part of getting older. You realize what a dink you were when you were younger and you were yeah, so yeah. convinced, so convinced <laughs> that you're awesome, you know?
1: Well, I mean every teenager at that age thinks sort of this shit and they learn they don't know anything. It's part of growing up.
0: Yeah, so uh, what what was going on in 1993? Let's kind of set the stage for
1: the, our listeners. Yeah, so Bill Clinton was president. I think his what his second year of presidency.
0: Yeah, he was elected in 92, but would have been sworn in in January of 93.
1: Okay, right. So he was just warming up. Uh... <laughs> Lighting his cigar, if you will. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. <laughs> uh, with a couple of other big notable tech things happened. Um, the World Wide Web, as we would know it, was born uh, at the CERN laboratories. It would take a few more years to really catch on, but that was when it all started. Um, Yeah, also at the same year, um, a company by the name of Intel introduced the Pentium chip processor, which would come to power most personal computers for the next few years. Pretty big step forward for tech there, but then also kind of in the more political space, we had... um, the bombing of the World Trade Center, if you remember that the first, first iteration. Yeah. The first one, yeah. New York City. Uh, I think it was also Islamic terrorists, if I remember correctly, that were claimed responsibility for that. And we also had the, the Waco uh, standoff and... That whole mess down in Texas with the, uh, is it the Davidian branch compounds. Yeah, the, the branch The Branch Davidians. Davidians. Yep. Yeah,
0: yeah. Yeah, so it's weird. You know, you think everything is so screwed up now, but it was then too. There was There's screwy stuff all through our history. And I think it's part of it because of the World Wide Web. More people know about things and more people talk about things. Because of social media and all that stuff So it seems worse But it's still probably equally shitty as it was then (laughs) But it was more, you know, things were more isolated Everything wasn't so out there Alright, so, yeah On the lighter side we had TV shows that premiered in 1993 Like Frasier, The X-Files, NYPD Blue If anyone remembers that one It was the first show on Yeah, where they showed butts on TV (laughs) Woohoo! Uh, that was the big thing. Uh, a show, Boy Meets World, Conan O'Brien premiered, Power Rangers, all sorts of stuff was on in those days. Seinfeld was at its peak. Beavis yeah. and Butthead was around. The, you know, Saved by the Bell was a thing for you kids. But yeah, and then then in movies we had a Bronx Tale. Cool Runnings, which is a terrible movie, but it was quite popular. Uh, Jurassic Park, Groundhog Day, The Firm, The Fugitive, Sleepless in Seattle, Nightmare Before Christmas, freaking Mrs. Doubtfire, which which I hate, (laughs) Days of Confused, which I love, Um, just True Romance, just so many, A Tombstone, I think, and just tons of movies. Wayne's World, the list goes on and on, people. Damn, some good movies. (laughs) Now- Since this is a music podcast, Andy, do you happen to have in front of you what albums were coming out in 1993 that are of note?
1: Yeah, 93, man, it was a good year for music, too. So we had Nirvana's last record in Euro came out, as well as Doggy Style and Enter the Wu-Tang, 36 Chambers, Um, both came out that year. Siamese Dream from Smashing Pumpkins. That was a big deal. What else did we have? Pablo Honey from Radiohead. Bjork's debut record came out that year. Brian Carey, Music Box. I mean, some pretty influential stuff. Go ahead.
0: The world was introduced to the cranberries. I'm sorry, world. Uh... <coughs> <laughs> But Zuropa by U2 came out, which was kind of a major shift in the way that they sounded. And, you know, just a lot of lot of stuff. A lot of good stuff. Tool, Undertow, came out that year. So what we're going to do today is we're going to talk about a couple of our favorite albums from 1993. The ones that met the most to us or we think were the best. And we're also going to touch on a, a couple of fun hit songs Or, you know, and and talk about the albums from 1993. Not stuff we necessarily loved, but things we look back on and are kind of nostalgia bait at this point. So why don't we get started on this? What do you think? Let's do it. That sounds like tech industry 1993, doesn't it?
1: <laughs> this is your IBM training video.
0: <laughs> yeah, I think we used that one before, but I likes it.
1: So shall we talk about a fun song from the period before we jump into a, a full record?
0: Well, there was one that I thought of that I thought you wouldn't think of, but then when I asked you via text what you were thinking about, you named the very same thing. so that kind of screwed us.
1: <laughs> yeah, well that's I mean, I think that' speaks volumes as to. A very influential record and song from that period by an artist by the name of Meatloaf put out a record called Better Out of Hell 2. Yeah, he did. Which uh, (laughs) I didn't really know. I mean, I was young at the time. I wasn't really around for the first iteration of his career, I guess, in the late 70s, right? When he was... Initially yeah. popular.
0: I believe "Bad Out of Hell" was 1977, if I'm remembering correctly. Yeah, it was. That was a big hit. It, the whole rock opera revolution was going on then, and you know there was quite a few hit songs off of that. "Paradise by the Dashboard Light" and two Out of Three Ain't Bad" were the big hits off of that. And he he wrote it with Jim Steinman, his music writing partner.
1: Yeah, I just remember hearing. Uh, well, what, let's. The song we're talking about, we both thought of immediately as a 1993, I don't know if i call it a standout, but definitely a memorable song is uh, I Do Anything for Love. You want to just play a clip of that, just in case anyone doesn't remember that song?
0: I won't do that. But I won't <laughs> do that. Won't do that I, I have to sing along That's what sucks about this song <laughs> I couldn't believe that he was back And I just thought it was goofy And the video was goofy But man this was huge It was a huge comeback 16 years after the original Bad Out of Hell Meatloaf had failed with other records in, the, in between He got back together with Jim Steinman They wrote this Another rock opera With goofy stories And over the top instrumentation And man if it wasn't a huge hit yeah, this was on the
1: radio all the time. And I I couldn't understand why it was popular, but like you said, every time it comes on, this, on the radio, you just want to sing along.
0: That was a big hit, and it brings back good memories, regardless of how I personally felt about it. And it's fun to listen to once in a while now. So
1: You know what I, what I would recommend? If you haven't seen it, there is an awesome VH1 Storytellers clip of Meatloaf with the chalkboard and chalk explaining exactly what the things are that he would... Not to do for love. So he gets apparently gets that question a lot, and it always confused me too as what what those things were he wouldn't do. What was that? But he does explain yeah. it very clearly. Check it out on YouTube; it's awesome.
0: So, what other fun songs can you think of from 1993? I mean, we were kind of talking before the show. Like, should we throw another one in? And I'm just going to start playing it. I think, man. <laughs> I don't think I don't even think we need to. I don't think we need to talk about it so much as we just can play it a little, and then we'll chat. When- I'm gonna be the man who comes back home to you. And if I broke well, I know I'm gonna be. I'm gonna be the man who's going over You, but I, I would walk five hundred miles, and I would walk
1: five hundred more. If be a
0: man I dare you to not know the next words to that. Anybody listening? <laughs> <laughs>
1: So catchy, yet again. I still hear that song in the grocery store on the grocery store radio. To this just day. heard it.
0: Just heard it on the radio in the car radio last week, taking a long road trip. It yeah. was on. It was originally recorded in 1988 for uh, the Scottish uh, band, the Twin Brothers of the Proclaimers. It was on an album called Sunshine by Leith, I think. It was not popular, not in the States, but then the movie Benny in June um, with our friend Johnny Depp, where he plays a lovable weirdo, surprise, surprise, that was on the soundtrack and Chicks loved it and it became a super big, huge success. I sold a lot of Proclaimers singles at the record store.
1: (laughs) Nice, nice. That was a fun little... Walk down memory lane. There, shall we jump into the meat of this? Get into the the two records that are our favorites from the year nineteen ninety
0: three. Let's dig in. So, we both went rock and roll. We both went mm-hmm. really popular albums. So we didn't go digging in the dumpster for these. These were uh, huge records. And Andy, why don't you start first? Because I think yours is a little less. Uh, predictable than mine. So why don't you talk?
1: (laughs) I guess so. Like you said, they're both super popular. The record I picked was actually my first album I ever owned on CD, and it was from Counting Crows, their debut record, August and Everything After. It's still a record that I listen to on occasion and still really, 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 really enjoy. I have a Deep emotional connection to it, as you can imagine. You know, being like 13 years old and emotional, and some very emotional kind of singer songwriter music here, and related to it almost immediately upon hearing uh, the first single, which was uh, Mr. Jones. You sure you remember that song, right?
0: <laughs> I most yes, I do. Of course, I mostly remember the video because he looks the Adam Duritz, or the lead singer, looks like such a goof. <laughs> At the time, I thought so, because this was a little too soft for my taste at that at that moment. But I've got, you know, over the years, listened to this record and really do think it's quite a solid effort. And uh, it is very emotional, you know, not all like weepy, but it's definitely... Um like we've talked about before, it's got a real human element to it, some storytelling elements, and it's a nice I guess it's folk rock when you really boil it down, but at the time it was just considered alternative.
1: Yeah. We were still trying to figure out what alternative was at that point. So yeah, let's let's play uh the first track off this one. Which one of my favorite tracks off the record, um, round here. Put the girl on the car in the parking lot says, Man, you should try to take a shot. Can't you see? She must be So you got that super smooth, silky voice of uh, Adam Durritz there. Um, as well as the band the band is pretty solid I mean they they play well on this record as well as some of their future records they you know they bring in some interesting instruments you know there's some piano and organ and I think one track even has an accordion on it so a little different take you know still fairly accessible though
0: yeah, definitely. Uh, I mean, these guys are still touring. I think they're still recording, but they de- they're they're st- they're on a summer tour right now, I think, with Matchbox Twenty or something. And uh, yeah, they have continued to be relevant. And I think they also are very special to a lot of people because I think this record spoke to a lot of people of a lot of generations. I've known people from all age groups that love this album, so I think that's a pretty big accomplishment.
1: But he was like a very sensitive emotional yeah. artist and you know he's yeah yeah you know, they were they're from san francisco you know they're often compared to you know bands like rem bruce springsteen van morrison um interesting tidbit t-bone t-bone burnett produced this record it was one of his uh first production gigs you know now yeah. he's known as being one of the more influential produ- producers out there and this is a record he kind of got started with um yeah i just well, the lyric here
0: the end of the song has always depressed me you know it's like okay that song was pretty mellow and then that last round Uh. here i'm like you put what's wrong are you okay
1: (laughs) (laughs) yeah he must have gone through a pretty rough period there there's a lot of a lot of lyrics deal with you know love loss and just general sadness and, uh, you know, failed relationships. Um, let's play the last track off the record, which I thought was always a standout, um, Murder of One. And this, this song deals a lot with, uh, it's kind of an interesting take on, He's like he almost realizes that his girlfriend could do better than him and that she would be happier if they weren't together. So he's kind of talking about You know, getting rid of taking him myself out of the equation, and maybe uh, things would improve a little bit, which I always thought was kind of interesting uh, wordplay there. So yeah, let's hear a murder of one. Yeah, just <laughs> I always love when you when you hear like the uh the album name in the lyrics or like in this case the band name actually comes out in the lyrics. Yeah. So I was like I was like, oh that's where that's where it came from. That's what that's what they were inspired by, you know, like so I was kind of exciting as a listener. So that was actually where the name of the band came out of that song there in that line. Um mm-hmm. the term I didn't know this actually derives from an old English nursery rhyme. Apparently it was an old superstition to uh, count the crows in the sky and is often viewed as kind of a, a waste of time. So I think that that's a lot of what that song is about. You know, the refrain is you don't want to waste your life. So you got to do something, move on. Yeah.
0: Now, I saw something interesting about the album cover itself, that the lyrics to a song called August and Everything After are what's on the cover, but that song is not in fact on the album. Is that true?
1: yeah you know i've I've often wondered like because uh, you can kind of make them out on the uh on the record sleeve there, but uh yeah, that sound didn't come out till I think like ten or fifteen years later they finally released it. yeah, it's not on the record, which is bizarre, but uh you know the record's pretty solid all the way through as it is, so mal for not changing it. <laughs>
0: Yeah, it's a it's a great record. It's fun to listen to. I'm glad that I had a chance to listen to it again all the way through. I haven't in a few years. Good pick, man. I I've forgotten that you like that, and I didn't know about it being your first record. So
1: yeah, it's it's super fun to go back and listen to. I'm always a little worried that it's not going to be as good as I remember it. But after getting through it, it's it always puts a smile on my face. So what you got, man? You got something a little bit gruffer, a little more grungy. One, two, three, four,
0: five against one, five, five, five against one. That's right, folks. It's the album that was originally titled Five Against One, but later became known as Versus by Pearl Jam, the 1993 sophomore release by probably, at least in my life, the most important American band to exist in, in my generation. Uh, as far as I'm concerned you know, the, on the level of bands like the stones and the who and Led Zeppelin of their importance from their eras. Pearl jam is that in my mind and versus to me, their best, my favorite album. Uh, it was, it was not just that it was uh Pearl jam. It was rough. It was rougher than 10, their debut. It was angrier than 10. And I was angry at the time writing my, Shitty poetry and <laughs> trying to contend with that messy uh, pony nub. <sighs> I remember going to the record store the day it came out. I didn't have enough cash, and my friend fronted me a copy. I still have the original one I bought. St- the list price on it was seventeen ninety nine. This is like at a, a mall lot. record store. Well, you 1993? forget how. M- wow. Yeah, we forget that was the regular price on CDs, and then they, you know, they sale price it down to. Fifteen, but CDs were expensive. That's why that's why illegal downloading took over. If these things had been reasonably priced, I don't think it would have taken off so quickly. But anyway, the sticker, the actual sales sticker that was on mine, says five against one because they were printed. No kidding. Or, yeah. Huh.
1: So it must have been pretty late in the production process where they, yes. they renamed the record then?
0: Yeah, it was, I guess the decision was made that it was a little too... Um, negative sounding because it was kind of like them against the world and they felt like uh, it was kind of um, sort of pushing people away so versus was a more concise way to sort of say it you know um should we play some music first or should we talk
1: yeah let's let's I love the music man. let's let's uh play rear rearview rear rear mirror
0: rearview mirror one of my favorite songs on the album I don't believe it was ever a single it's basically just about uh putting shit behind you bad situations you leave them in your rearview mirror so let's take a listen
1: There were a couple things that stood out to me coming back listening to this for the first time in a while. I always thought of it as being like their aggressive record. But I kind of forgot how, like, rough and ragged it sounded, like, sonically. The guitars are super rough. Is Even the vocals are kind of, you know, stubbly sounding. Stubbly sounding. It's kind of gruff sounding. Yeah. You know what I mean, right? I get you. There's, like, a lot of guttural sounds going on here. And, and then there's some tracks on here that actually the bass is, like, really driving and almost, like, funky at times. Yeah. You know? Like, uh... It's real head-bobbing for for Pearl Jam music, you know. Well, you
0: know, one addition to their band, Dave Aberzies was their, I think that's how you say his name, was their drummer at this time. He had taken over after 10 had been recorded, and he is a Mm -hmm. much more aggressive drummer, much more hard rock, and you can hear it in a lot of these songs that – the drum beats and the aggression, how hard he's hitting those drums. I guess at the end of this song, they had a real hard time recording this. Eddie Vedder was struggling with it. He thought it sounded too poppy and too hit songy and and he was struggling with getting the getting his uh delivery correct the way he was happy with it dave abrazis was sick of it he was getting yelled at by the band and by the producer for not getting his drum part right and then i I, at the end of the song you can hear his drumsticks being thrown against the wall so i just think i love that kind (laughs) of stuff
1: that's cool Uh, (laughs) yeah yeah i heard a read an interesting quote from from Eddie Vedder saying, I mean, I guess I can understand. Like, like they had really ten. Obviously, they just blew up and became superstars overnight. And you know, obviously, had a lot more money than they did before. And they they moved down from from Seattle down into Washington to, or down into uh, California to record this record. And apparently they were in a very nice studio and had nice, swanky accommodations. And Eddie was saying how uncomfortable that made him. And he just wasn't used to the, that lifestyle. And much preferred to, you know, sleeping in his car and not showering for days and that that kind of stuff. So he felt very out of place in the surroundings. And like you were saying, had a very tough time getting in getting in the right headspace to record this kind of music.
0: Yeah, you know, and so to follow up there, Monster Hit with Ten, they the whole thing was that they were kind of taking this anti uh music establishment idea and they weren't gonna they were gonna try and capture how they sound live and and not make a copy of ten and and do something uh you know in reaction to the kind of the weight of it all and then this record comes out And it's even bigger. It debuts at number one, breaking a sales record at the time for the number of copies sold in the first week. It stayed at the the top for five weeks. It sold like seven million copies. It was huge. And I just loved it Uh, from the very time... It was the first Pearl Jam record I bought like the day it came out. Ten, I listened to my friends were into but we had for months had been listening to demos and stuff that they had gotten there my friends were into this big time so we had some bootleg demos of some of these songs and so i was ready like glorified g and riverview mirror was one of them and so i was ready for some of these songs and man was i not disappointed i mean it kicks in so fiercely like it's almost heavy metal at times like go and animal the first two tracks just kick you they're hard. They're rocking. Then you got Daughter and Glorified G, which is about gun control. And they, these songs all mean things. There's all, you know, there's social commentary in them. And that's what really meant a lot to me as a fake poet at the time was that Eddie Vedder was like the real thing. He was like Jim Morrison or something. He was like a working man's poet. And he, you know, it had Springsteen in him, too, you know, like a that talked about real life stuff and cared about the world and. I thought that was some kick-ass shit back then, and I stand by it today.
1: <laughs> it is kind of like the 90s Jim Bar- Morrison. Jim totally.
0: <laughs> yeah, I mean, the song Rats, when it's about rats, but it's really about how people are really no better than rats, that we swarm together and we're disgusting and the humanity mm-hmm. sucks. And I was like, yeah! Yeah! Humanity sucks! Yeah, because <laughs> that whole part of this era, I really, you know, the angsty young man thing was uh, I really connected with. So this record means a ton to me. Now, I want to get into every track, and, you know, we're, we don't want to talk forever about this. Even the last track, Indifference, is, it's not hard-rocking. It's like the absolute opposite. But it is like, I just remember feeling like I was in a cave with just a single light like a candle or something. This song is so—I don't know. It's hard to describe, but it it, it it like grabs you and just takes you to another place. What do you—what do you think about it?
1: I—it's—I it, spellbound would be the word that Ooh. I th- would think of for that song. Like it—it it stands out from the rest of the record, but it feels like the message he's delivering there is so heartfelt and. There's so much truth in it. I think, uh, man, I love it. Whenever they perform this live, it's, it's always one of my favorite shows in the concert. And it's a good one, man. Let's, let's, let's give it a spin. I mean, as like a teenager, that's like exactly what you want to hear, right? I mean, right. be strong, stay the course. I mean, it's perfect for that age.
0: Yeah, man, I love this album, and uh, I don't want to go on and on too much. Why don't you talk a little bit more about it? Because, uh, you know, I know how I feel.
1: I knew a lot of these songs just from their live performances on a bunch of those live records. But uh, I think what I remember most about them at the time was hearing how they had decided not to put out any music videos. I think yep. for this record, at this point, they kind of like started to boycott MTV. And then did Ticketmaster boycott files soon after? Or, or how did it, that work? That's it right. came
0: It came around the time of Vitology, which uh, I believe was uh, released either late 94, early 95. I think it was like December 94.
1: Well, it was definitely the vibe that was out there. And that's kind of how I remember them being at that stage of the career. Like they were the musicians, musician and you know, trying to stand up against the man and the machine and all that shit.
0: They did it for a short time, and I loved it. They're still touring. They're still making good records when they make them. None, mm-hmm. none as good as this, in my opinion, but still, they every rec- I can't say anything they've come out with has sucked, and that's a big deal. So thank you, Pearl Jam, for verses. Thank you for all of your records, but this one was something special for me in 1993. It was a great year because although this was at the end, this was October, that uh, that fall of 93 was a lot of fun, and you were a big part of it, Pearl Jam, so thank you.
1: Yes, thank you, Pearl Jam and Counting Crows for some awesome music. Thank you, listeners, for listening to all our shit, and uh, we'd love to know what records you dug from 1993. Hit us up on Twitter or on our website and just shoot us a note. Let us know what your favorite record of 1993 was. Be curious to hear um yeah so what are we gonna be doing uh next week man
0: i think next week we have some new album recommendations so oh,
1: yes we do got some new stuff from 2017 yes. all the way forward
0: well yeah kind of kind of for me of course i picked a band from the 90s you're gonna have to tune in to find out who
1: <laughs> all right well, those Good talking to you everybody And good talking to you man And uh, it was just really good 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 good
0: (laughs) Say good again (laughs) Say good again I dare you
1: (laughs) It's great It was really great Uh, Yeah so hit us up on Twitter And symbol at albumnerds Please subscribe to the show And rate us on iTunes We'd appreciate it
0: Yeah five stars on iTunes Go to albumnerds.com To find our playlist And to comment and whatever, and tell us what you think. And uh, tune in next week for the good stuff. Thank you again, everybody. Andy, you have a wonderful week.
1: Yeah, you too, buddy. Catch you guys next week.
0: See ya. Oh, man. Thank you.